Today, I want to talk to you about uh, being faithful in finances. And I'm really, really excited as I look around, as in the first service, I look around this service and I see so many, so many young faces, so many young people here, here today. And I'm so excited uh, to be able to share uh, uh, what I have to share with you today. Because you see, if you can, if you can get this area of your life under control, uh, it's going to spare you a whole lot of trouble, a whole lot of problems later on in, in, in life. So I, I encourage you today, if you're young today, take notes listen up, uh, and don't just listen, but then uh, implement the things that, that you hear today, because I promise you, uh, in years to come, you'll be so grateful and so thankful uh, that, that you did. You see, financial problems have a, have a domino effect that cause trouble in so many other areas of life. And so if we can get this under control and get this right, uh, it'll help us in so many other areas as well. All right, let's get started this morning. I want to I share with you four things related. Uh, to finances. Four things related to finances. The first thing I want to talk about is the reality. And the reality is most people in America, especially most Americans, most people are living a lie. That's the reality. Uh, For most people today, the American dream is turned into a nightmare. And and what I discover is that most Americans today are playing make-believe. Make-believe. Uh, do you remember playing make-believe, dress-up, pretend? Do you remember playing those kinds of things when, when you were a kid? Well, I, I remember when I was a kid, and I know it's hard for you to look at me and say, you know, you were a kid someday. Yeah, yeah, there was a time when I was a kid, and I, and I can still remember those days. And I remember when I was, when I was a kid, and I loved to play make-believe like everyone else. I, I remember playing make-believe, and I, I remember some of the characters uh, when I was growing up that I would act like I was. I remember Mickey Mantle. Mickey Mantle was the, was the home run king uh, when I was a kid. He played for the New York Yankees. He was a switch hitter, and, and I remember getting my baseball cap on. I remember getting my, 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 uh, my bat and my ball, and, and I remember uh, playing like I was Mickey Mantle and hitting the ball out of the ballpark. I also loved football when I was a kid, and 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 and, and the guy in my in my my day when I was a kid, uh, I loved Johnny Unitas. Johnny Unitas was an incredible quarterback for the then Baltimore Colts, and and I remember getting my football and playing like I was Johnny Unitas. And then when I was a kid on TV, about all that was on TV when I was a kid was shoot 'em ups, you know, cowboy, cowboy and Indian kind of things. And, and I remember as a little boy loving to dress up and play like I was a, like I was a cowboy. I, I remember I'd get my hat, I'd get my boots, uh, I'd, I'd put on my six shooter, I'd put on my, my marshal's badge and I'd play like I was wider, man, I'm going in to clean up the town. Also, when I was a kid, they, they, they had some army shows on TV, and I remember one in particular, it was called Combat. And I remember as, for Christmas, I asked my mom and dad to get me army, army gear, and so, and so, and so I, had a, I had an army helmet, I, uh, I had a canteen, I had a mess kit, uh, I had a play machine gun, and I remember going out and playing like I was Sergeant Saunders in, in, in combat. Loved to play dress up, love to play make-believe. How many know make-believe is fine? It's fine. And, and, and how many know it's okay? It's okay to play make-believe if you're under 10. <laughs> the problem is most Americans today, most adults are still playing make-believe. They're playing make-believe. You know, 
they, they, they can't afford the house they're in, but they make believe like they can. They can't afford the car they're driving, but they make believe they can. They go to restaurants and they make believe like they can afford to be there. And they whip out the old plastic and make believe they're supposed to be there. They take vacations. They shouldn't be taken. But they're playing make believe. They're playing dress up. They're playing pretend. The reality, most people are living a lie. You see, because of their pride, they're trying to keep up with the Joneses. But what they don't understand is the Joneses are broke and in debt. What they don't understand is the Joneses are playing make-believe too. Second part of the reality is, and that is the lack of money, is not the real problem. The lack of money is not the real problem. Now, now for some it is. Listen, if you're, on, if you're making minimum wage, well, yeah, yeah, that's, that, that's your problem. You've got to figure out a way to make more money, get a better, better job. But, but for most people, the lack of money is not the real problem. Most people's financial problems are not due to the amount of money they make, rather the mismanagement of the money they do make and by going into debt to live the lifestyle of their peers. Somebody said, if your outgo exceeds your income, your upkeep will be your downfall. One man said his problem was his outgoing income. How many would say amen to that? Amen. Haggai chapter 1 and verse number 6, the Bible says you put your money in a bag with holes in it. Oh, I wish I had an hour today to talk about the different holes that can be in our money bag, that if only we could discover what the holes are in our money bag and sew those holes up. Wow, things could turn around drastically in the area of finances. You know, I've met people that, that, that had six-figure incomes that struggled with finances. What? See, the lack of money is not usually the major problem mismanagement is. Second thing I want to talk about concerning finances today, and that is I want to talk about the responsibility. Are you aware of the fact that, that we're going to be held, held responsible for how we handled our finances? Did you know we're going to give an account to God for what we did with what he gave us? See, everything belongs to God. The earth is the Lord and the, the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Everything. God created everything. He owns everything. We are merely stewards or managers of God's property. And God gives us property. He gives us money. He gives us things. And we're going to be held accountable for what we did with what God gave us. In Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30, Jesus tells a story or a parable of the talents. Now, we need to understand that a talent was a measure of money. And the Bible said that, that a man brought three of his workers together, and he gave one man five talents, another man he gave two talents, another man he gave one talent, and then he went on a long, he went on a long journey. And when he came back, he called those three men in, and they had to give an account of what they did with their master's money. 
I believe this is a picture of God giving to us the resources that he gives to us to manage. And one day at the judgment seat of Christ, we are all going to individually have to answer to God as to what we did with what he gave us. See, most people are just trying to get to heaven by the hair of their chinny-chin-chin. They're just hoping they can just barely somehow get in. And so many people have this misconception that heaven is a one-size-fits-all kind of place. And if only they can just get there, everything will be okay. Listen, we're saved by grace and grace alone, only through the blood of Jesus Christ. Are we saved? Not of works, lest any man should boast. But even though we are saved by the blood of Jesus, yet we are still going to have to give an account to God and stand before the Lord on the, at the judgment seat of Christ to give an account of what we did with what he gave us. And based upon what we did with what he gave us, that's where we are going to be rewarded or going to lose our rewards. That's a whole other teaching, but we need to understand it. We also need to be aware of this this morning, and that is we can't expect God to give us more if we are not faithful to manage what we have. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 10 through 12, Jesus said, if you are faithful with little, you will be faithful with much. But he said, if you are not trustworthy with a little, he said, why would you expect more? Back to the parable of the talents. In verse number 15, it's a very significant uh, verse that so many people don't see and don't understand. But it's very, very vital and very important. In verse number 15, about remember, it's the story of the man that gave the talents, gave the measure of money to three different men. And in verse number 15, it says, he divided the money in proportion to their abilities. We could read that and say, my goodness, that's not fair. He gave this guy five talents. This old guy only got two. And this poor old guy over here, he only got one talent. That's not, that's not, that's not fair. He's, he's showing partiality. He, he must love this guy more than he loves this guy. No, it had nothing to do with love or how, how much he loved. It actually had all to do with love, but, not, but here's what it was. He loved these other guys enough not to overload them. He gave in proportion to their abilities. He knew what they were capable of. He knew what they were, what, what was within their uh, capabilities. God knows how much we can handle. Sometimes we look at somebody else who has more than us and we, we envy them and we even get mad at God and think God's not fair. No, God, God realizes, God realizes that we can't handle it. And he loves us so much that he's not going to overload us. And until we correctly handle a little, he's not going to give us a lot. But when we prove faithful to handle what we have, then he can trust us with more. We find this in verse number 21 where, where he says, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I'm going to give you more. I want you to ask yourself this question this morning. Have I been faithful with what I've been given? Have I been faithful with what I have been given? Or do I whine about what I don't have like the one did who received only one talent uh, in the parable in Matthew 25? Ask yourself this question as well. Why should I expect God to give me more if I haven't done anything productive with what he's already given me? Third thing I want to talk about finances this morning, and that is I want to talk about the recommendations. 
I want to recommend four things that you should do with your money. And I'm giving you these four things in proper order. Say proper order. See, see, not only should you do these four things with your money, but you should do these four things in this order. So when we get money, when we get paid, when money comes into our hands, what should we do with it? Four things. The very first thing we should do is we should sow some. Say sow some. The book of Malachi, chapter 3, verse 8 through 12, the Bible says, will a man rob God? What an incredible question. Can you just imagine somebody putting a ski mask over their face and getting out a 357 Magnum and sneaking up behind the throne of God and robbing God? What a crazy question. Will a man rob God? But God answers the questions and he's and the question and he says, but you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? He answers, in tithe and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing, there will not be room enough to receive it. I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground. Nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. And all nations will going to call you blessed for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. According to Malachi... The finances of tithers are blessed. And the finances of non-tithers are cursed. Now, I didn't say that. So, so, so don't throw anything at me this morning. I, I'm much too sweet and kind and nice to ever. I didn't say that, but Malachi did. And I want you to notice what he says about tithers. It's incredible. It's incredible. You know, we think tithing is all about the church and all about the ministry. No, no, it's all about you. He said tithers are blessed with three financial blessings. Provision, protection, and prosperity. If you'll read that scripture again when you go home, you'll find all three that people who are consistent, faithful faithful tithers will be blessed with provision, with protection, and with prosperity. I don't know about you, but that's great return on my money. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 6, he said, if you sow sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly, but if you sow bountifully, you will reap bountifully. So, so the very first thing you should do with your money is sow some. Pay God first. Begin with a tithe. Now it's tithe, not tithes. Tithes is something we used to wear. Tithe literally means a tenth part, or in our way of saying it today, it would be 10%. So if I make $1,000, the tithe is $100. It's 10% of our income. So we begin with a tithe, but I want you to notice in that same passage, it also mentioned offering. Tithe and, you have robbed me in tithe and in 
offering. So after you tithe, you should give an offering. I recommend starting at 5%. My wife and I have been tithing our whole married life. I've been tithing since the, since the day I got my dollar allowance. My whole life I've been, I've been tithing. My wife and I have been tithing. We'll be married 45 years in June, and we've been tithing our whole, married, our whole married life. And not only tithing, but giving. But because we have done so, and God has blessed us, we've continued to increase our giving. So today we give about 25% of our income to God. Not saying that to brag. I'm just telling you that it, we find out that it works. And we don't preach what we don't practice. And today we are reaping the benefits of the financial seeds that we have sown for the past 44 years. Listen, you might have an argument against this teaching, but I have the proof of this teaching. All right, second thing you need to do with your money is you need to save some. Say, save some. Proverbs chapter 21 and verse number 20, the Bible says, the wise have wealth and luxury, but fools spend whatever they get. Did you hear what the wisdom writer said? The wisdom writer said that people that spend all that they make are fools. Now, again, I'm too nice to say that. But it's what the Bible says, that fools spend everything they Get. See, see, the real question is not how much money do you make. The real question is how much money do you have. The real question is how much money do you keep. Because, see, you won't always be young and strong. I know you that are young. You think you're always going to be young. You're always going to be strong and, and, and all of that. But listen, I'm telling you, I've already lived long enough to discover it goes by so quick. And I remember when I was young and heard guys my age talking about how fast life goes by. I thought that old cootie's already into Alzheimer's. Well, I'm not into Alzheimer's. I do have part-timers, but I don't have Alzheimer's. But I want to tell you that I've discovered that life goes by really, really, really quick and really fast. And you're not always going to be young and strong. And you're not always going to be in demand. Let me ask you this. What happens to you if you lose your job? Oh, I'll never lose my job. Well, I remember a man in my church years ago when they were having a lot of layoffs, and he came to me and he said, you know, out of every man in this church, he said, that might lose their job. He said, my job is the most secure. He said, I'll be the last man in this church to lose, the job, lose their job. You know, he was the first. True story. What happens if you lose your job? What happens if you get sick or you get injured and you're unable to work? What happens to you when you get old and nobody wants you anymore or needs you anymore? Nobody needs your outdated skills anymore. You better save some. Let me ask you this this morning. Why, why do you do all the work but everyone gets a part of your paycheck but, but you? You get your paycheck, and you know this one gets it, and that one gets it, and that one gets it, and you pay all of your bills, and every, you've done all the work, but everybody else gets all the money. Doesn't seem right, does it? So after you sow some, save some. Pay yourself. Pay yourself. Start by creating an emergency fund of three to six months' expenses because emergencies are going to arise. The problem with most people is they don't live with margin. They have no margin in their life. If everything works perfect, you know, they can make it. Well, it doesn't ever all work perfect. You've got to have some margin. You've got to have an emergency fund because emergencies are going to come around. 
After you get your emergency fund in place, start investing in some type of retirement account. And let me, and, and let me tell you, you young people, you know, ah, I'm too young to start. You know, I've barely started work and you're talking about retirement. Let me tell you, man, if you're just now starting to, 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 to go to work, that's the time to start because it's not how much you put in that matters the most. It's how young you are when you start and how consistent you are over the years. I recommend 10 to 15% of your income to save, first of all, developing an emergency fund. After that's in place, then investing. So after you have sold some and saved some, then you get to spend some. But remember now, remember, you've already given God 15%. You've already paid yourself 15%. So now you only have 70% of after taxes to live on. Are you really excited now? So you're going to have to set yourself up on a budget. But before you set up your budget, ask yourself this question. This is a very, very important question. Ask yourself, what do I, what do I want to do with my money? Before you make your budget, ask yourself, what do I want to do with my money? Do I want to live in it? Do I want to drive it? Do I want to play with it? Do I want to eat it? What do I want to do with my money? What are my priorities? What gives me the most satisfaction? What, what is most important to me? Because you see, you can't do everything. If your house is your priority, then, then you're not going to be able to eat out as much. And you might have to drive an older car. And you might have to go visit relatives on vacation. Because you're living in your money. If you like to play a lot, you might have to live in a smaller house. So before you set up your budget, decide what is most important to you. What do you want to do with your money? By the way, how do you see money? How do you see money? Do you see money as flat and stacking? Or do you see it round and rolling? Are you a saver or are you a spender? Now, I'm a saver. I've always been a saver my entire life. I see money as flat and stacking. I, I, I've always been a saver, man. I, I mean, when I was a kid, when I was a kid, I could make an all-day sucker last two weeks. I just recently had a birthday, and the night before my birthday, my wife said, honey, you want your birthday present? I said, no, I want to save it. Or do you want your birthday present? You want your birthday present? I said, no. I'm thinking, I want to save it. Next morning was my birthday. My wife said, honey, do you want your birthday present now? I said, no, I'll wait till tonight when we have the family over and we have the birthday party. I'm a saver. Weird, huh? I'm weird. Here's the problem. Opposites attract. (laughs) Savers usually marry spenders and spenders marry savers. So when deciding what you're going to do with your money, if you are married, make sure you're both on the same page and make some compromises. Both sides will have to make some compromises. Now, I preach and I practice debt-free living. I recommend zero debt other than your house. And then I recommend getting your house paid off as soon as possible. 
You might say, well, that's just absolutely unrealistic. But it's not if you're living under God's blessing of provision, protection, and prosperity that's promised to tithers. It's not if you're not in debt in other areas so that you can throw more money on your mortgage every month. It's not if you were wise in the process of buying your home. How many know that your your house payment should not exceed your house payment should not be more than 25% of your regular take-home pay. Not including bonuses, not including overtime. Some of you need to have a garage sale. I'm not talking about throwing a bunch of junk in a garage and putting up a sign. I'm talking about some of you need to sell the garage and the house that's attached to it because you've got too much house. And you're spending only by what you can pay cash for. If you can't pay cash for it, it's not time to buy it yet. And don't overspend on cars. We're, Americans are, are in love with their cars today, but a new car is the worst investment that you can make. I'd rather drive an older car than have a new car driving me. And how many know that a new car becomes a used car the moment you drive it off the lot? The last thing you need to do with your money is you need to share some. Share some. Proverbs 11, verse 24 and 25 says, Give freely and become more wealthy. Be stingy and lose everything. It says the generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. Did you know that God didn't give you everything that you have to keep for yourself? Remember the story of the rich man in, in Luke chapter 12 who had an abundant crop and, and he had so much that he didn't even have room enough and so he tore down the little barn he had and built a bigger barn. He never even gave one thought to the people that he could bless with what he had. What a blessing he could have been uh, if he would have taken the excess that he had and given it to someone else. The Bible says... In 1 John chapter 3, verse 17, if someone has enough money to live well and they see someone in need but they show no compassion to them, how can God's love be in them? Wow. The fourth thing we need to do with our money, we'll talk about the reaping. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7 says you're going to reap what you sow. I want to talk just a moment. I wish I had an hour here, but I've only got three minutes and 24 seconds. I'll talk about the reaping that will occur when our finances are in order and when they are out of order. First of all, when our finances are out of order, what happens? First of all, stress increases. Stress increases. We're living in a very stressful society, but there's no stress like financial stress when there's just too much month left at the end of the money. The second one is strained relationships occur. Hey, good luck telling your wife she has to move out of her dream house because you mismanaged the family money. Did you know the number one problem in America today, in marriage today, is finances? And the third one is a strained, a stained reputation is possible. See, someone who mismanages their money and can't pay their bills stain their reputation. And they cause people to lose confidence in them. Let's, let's talk about when finances are in order. What happens when my finances are in order? Do I reap something? Is it a blessing to me? Do I reap something when my finances are in order? Absolutely. First of all, you get more. You get more. Somebody said the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. And it is true. 
And it's actually the way it should be. Back to Matthew 25 in the parable, verse 28 and 29. Then he ordered, take the money from the servant. What servant? The servant that had mismanaged his master's money. He said, take that amount of money away from him and give it over here to this man that has doubled his money and now has 10 talents. Why? He said, to those who use well what they are given, even more will be given and they will have in abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. What happens when we have our finances in order? Well, first of all, you get more. You get more. Second thing is you can go more. You can go more. A young couple had lived beyond their means and they'd bought a house they couldn't afford and a new car they couldn't afford. And, and the wife said to the husband, she said, she said, where are we going on vacation this year? He said, going on vacation? Are you kidding? He said, our vacation is we're going to sit in our house and look out the window at our new car. And then after we do that, we're going to go sit in the new car and look at the new house we have. If you have your finances in order, you can, you can go more. And finally, when finances are in order, you can give more. Luke 12, 48, where much is given, much is required. Listen, the more we have, the more we can give. And the more we give, the more will be given to us so we can give even more. It's a principle of the word of God. Life is hard. I'm not being pessimistic. I'm not being negative, but I'm telling you that life is hard. People who get their finances out of order make it harder. Somebody said, I have met the enemy, and I am he. On the other hand, people who have their finances in order can drastically reduce the amount of problems they will have to face. Somebody said, well, money can't buy happiness. I say no, but the mismanagement of money can contribute to much unhappiness.